0: A okay, not rhetorical question. How many of you would say that right now in your life, there is some kind of drama going on? Give me, give me raise your hand. Could be in you, could be outside of you, okay? Capture that drama, <laughs> think about it. And uh, I'd like to share with you uh, a definition of the word drama from uh, an ancient source of profound wisdom, the Urban Dictionary. Last time I quoted from the Urban Dictionary, a 17-year-old boy came up to me and said, that's not appropriate, don't ever do that again. In honor of him, we're gonna do it again. So before I read this definition, I want to just make it really, really clear. I didn't write this, number one. Uh, Number two, the way Urban Dictionary works, it's like the Wikipedia of dictionaries. Wikipedia uh, basically works under this premise that if you take all the aggregate information of people, you put them together, and ultimately the truth will come out. So um, in Wikipedia, it is controlled by the masses, by you. You get an account, you update information, and the belief is that the more people who get their hands on facts, the truth will emerge to the top, and so Urban Dictionary is the dictionary's version of Wikipedia. So you control this, I wanna be very clear, I didn't write this, you wrote this, okay? Um, You wrote this, all right, because I've never put anything on Urban Dictionary. You have, though, okay. Drama. Now, ladies, I wanna let you know, I don't believe this. All right, totally, okay, drama. Something women, and especially teenage girls, thrive on. That's how it starts. We're not even done. All right, but do, do, do we have our own drama, gentlemen? Yes, right, yeah, ladies, right? We're not exactly drama-free. We're just better at it. Okay, good. Did I say that? I'm sorry. Okay. Consisting of any number of situations that have an easy solution, which would, be, which would bring a fairly good outcome, but... These girls, these girls choose another bad way to deal with it. Again, consisting of backstabbing, blackmailing, gossiping, betraying their friends. And I love Unurban Dictionary because then you can get examples, right? So the person gives an example. I want to break up with him, but I still love him, right? Okay. It drives drama, men, and what I like to call quote unquote, normal girls, nuts. (laughs) Uh, It's kind of funny, you guys, (laughs) right? It's like a little bell of truth somewhere in there. Uh, There are three kinds of people in this room and in the world, and the first kind are drama makers. And uh, you know who you are, and you know who they are. Everywhere they go, there's some kind of turmoil, there's some kind of chaos, there's some kind of something's always up, some kind of thing is always turned around. And obviously, uh, I hope you get the punchline by now, does Jesus want you to be a drama maker everywhere you go? And the answer is no, we've had enough of that. There's enough of that out there. We want something better in here, right? Uh, The second kind of person is a spectator. Uh, You know, you're not prone to much drama. You're not prone to making a lot of issues. But you know what you do? Nothing. You sit back, you observe, you watch, and you tell yourself, I'm better than them because I'm not making trouble. I would find that the majority of Christians safely snuggle into the spectator position. And because we have moral superiority to the drama people, we tell ourselves, you know what? I'm better than them, I'm fine. But there's a higher level that Jesus wants to call us to, and that would be the third category of person, which is a peacemaker. Uh, a peacemaker is very, very different because peacemakers see the world differently. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. This is our verse for the morning. Peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers, for they, they, catch this, they shall be called sons of God. If you're not a peacemaker, hear me, you're one of the other two. So that begs the question, what is a peacemaker? Are you a peacemaker? Let's answer some questions before we answer that question. You got to do the hard, soul-wrenching gut work, put a mirror up to your face. Am I what Jesus would consider a peacemaker? First and foremost, what is Peace. Peace is, generically speaking, the absence of conflict, violence, and turmoil. Peace would be the absence of violence, conflict, and turmoil. So the Jews had a word for peace. All right, pop quiz. What is the Jewish word for peace? Shalom. Shalom. Shalom is the Jewish word for peace. So shalom um, is actually has a few layers of meaning. So the first layer is this. Shalom is a greeting. Hi, bye, shalom, shalom, shalom to see you, shalom to see you as well. No, shalom, whenever you see somebody, you say hello, shalom. Uh, and, and honestly, it, it can feel like a trite word the more you use it. But there's another level to shalom that is incredibly weighty. It's incredibly meaningful. It has a depth to it um, that the simple trite greeting does not have. And I want to help you understand before we define this uh, how, y- how this works in American language too. So you know you've heard pastors get up front and they say, um, the word love, the word love doesn't mean anything. The word love has lost all of its potency. Remember that? You guys are all familiar with that statement, right? And it's true. The more you use the word love, the, more, the less it really means. I love McDonald's. Well, I don't, but I love Taco Bell. I love Starbucks. I love this. I love that. But just because the word has lost its potency the majority of the times we use it, there are a few times when this word explodes with meaning. So the first time that boy or that girl told you they loved you, do you remember that? Girl in high school, I think I was a junior, she said, oh, Michael, I love you. And I said, cool, cool. My mama always taught me a couple things. Michael, debt is dumb, never go into debt, never go into debt. Michael, I'll always love you no matter what you do. Even if you are a blank, I will still love you. Michael, never tell a girl you love her till you put a ring in her finger. And so I said the word love in front of my girlfriend, Brienne at the time, a million times. But when I proposed to her that night, the first time ever I'd said to another woman other than my mother, I love you, that landed with so much weight even though it's just this generic word. And shalom is like one of these words. It's generic. It's used all the time, left and right in Jewish language. But it has a theological weight and depth to it that is so meaningful and beautiful. Shalom is this. It's inner peace that comes from God that explodes into the physical realm And ultimately into our relationships. It's this thing that comes from God, and it is an inner peace that is divine in nature, and once it takes residence in you, it is not content to just sit there. The kingdom of God in you, this shalom, wants to explode into your relationships. Uh, You create these things we call atmospheres and cultures around your life, and many people, you go into their atmosphere, it's like thunderclouds and rainstorms and hurricanes, and you're like, I need to get out. Out of this person's climate there's no shalom and you find the person whose climate whose atmosphere is shalom and it's like I want to just sit under your shade I want to be here shalom is this experience that happens when God's shalom is put into you and then it explodes out of you and this is the nature of the kingdom of God that wherever the kingdom of God is shalom exists it's this meaningful expression and word that looks forward to a time when all turmoil all chaos all violence in inwardly outwardly relationally spiritually it's done away with once and for all I mean there's this vision with shalom and so right now the kingdom of God is bursting forth out of his people the shalom of God is in us and we start to create these climates around us and people are changed and people get to sit under the shade of our shalom so what what is what is peacemaking peacemaking is this it's the ability to walk into chaos and bring shalom It's the ability to walk into violence and turmoil and insanity and bring something divine, to bring the kingdom of God to these moments and these circumstances. I mean, Jesus is incredible. Jesus walks into the craziest of circumstances and he has this ability to bring real, genuine, measurable shalom to the people who want shalom. receive it. Now, I want to take a moment. I want to call a spade a spade in in this conversation right now because as a pastor, my life is walking into chaos. I walk into chaos, it feels like, on an every other day basis. And many of you have jobs that require the same thing of you. You're a policeman or a fireman or whatever it is. You have certain jobs. My wife is a counselor. She walks into chaos. And my personality is such that that doesn't burden me, it doesn't bother me. God has created me specifically to be okay with that. But there are some of you in this room who your life is about avoiding chaos and turbulence and trials at all costs. And so Jesus is gonna enter into your, what you would call peacemaking, I would call spectatorship. And he's gonna ask you to do something really, really uncomfortable and difficult. And because your whole life has been about insulating yourself from other people's issues. And yet there's something about Jesus, and then by default the Christian, where Jesus is going to ask you to do hard things, to walk into people's chaos and turbulence. He's gonna ask you to have really, really hard, gut-wrenching conversations. And he modeled this for us, because you read the Gospels, it's Jesus walking into one story of chaos after another, after another, after another. Pastor Tim is a, is a chaplain for the city of Elgin. And Pastor Tim gets called to, to walk into these environments where there are bodies and there are souls that are just devastated. And, and, and you know what, he's used to this. He's used to this kind of stuff. But for most people, For most people, we run from this. And I believe that this is actually one of the reasons why the Christian church is just kind of lackluster. We're petrified of difficult things. We're petrified of hard conversations. Think about all the hard conversations you should have had but didn't, right? What could have happened if shalom was brought to those relationships, right? So am I a peacemaker? Let's examine this as the sermon unfolds. If you're new, uh, the Beatitudes is a series of eight blessings that Jesus gives. This is the introduction to the Sermon, uh, sermon on the Mount. The most important, most influential sermon ever given, most important sermon of Jesus, uh, Sermon on the Mount. And these are eight blessings. That's what Beatitude means. It's Latin for blessings. And Jesus is addressing primarily three groups of people. You get his disciples, uh, the few guys that he has called to follow him. You get this crowd of broken poor, uh, physically disabled, uh, very oppressed people. This is the vast majority of the people probably listening to Jesus. And then you have a group of people who are rich, religious elites. Those are the three groups of people. And Jesus is gonna have a word of uh, of empathy, a word of blessing, and a word of recalibration. So if you look at point number one in your notes, Jesus is gonna empathize. I think he can look down at these crowds all around him and say this. I see your chaos. I see your chaos and there's something about it. If you could sit with him, if he looked in your eyes you would step back and say that guy gets all of this. He gets what's going on here. He understands me. So what kind of chaos would Jesus have seen? Start internal. Spiritual. Emotional. Mental. He sees the mental illness staring right in front of him. The undiagnosed issues. The people who have been abandoned by their families. Schizophrenic. You name it. He sees all of those. He sees the um, mental processes that are just broken, the insecurity. He sees the spiritual brokenness. He sees people who have never been reconciled to God and they're groping for peace and groping for peace and they've got nothing. They're just scratching at nothing. He sees on a physical level, he sees sickness. He sees disease. I mean, disease, we know this, it pervades communities of poverty. You know that? Uniquely. And this Poor, lower class, which is the vast majority of the people that he's talking to, by the way, pervaded with disease. They brought their sick. They brought all of these people to Jesus just with the hopes that the kingdom of God and Jesus would burst out and heal them. We're relational. He looks at families, business partnerships. He looks at estranged fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and generational sins being passed down. I mean, he sees it all. It doesn't just stop there. He sees the financial poverty. I mean, ironically, we have more money in this country than anybody could ever know what to do with, and the majority of us in this room are in debt. How does that work? How much more with this group of people? There is no middle class. There's the rich and the poor, and he's looking at all these people, and everything in their life is broken. Nothing is functionally working. He looks at them and says, I I can see this. I see the turmoil in your lives. I see the chaos. I see the violence. I see the oppression. I see all of this, and he walks right into it. And somehow in the midst of this, and somehow in the midst of this whole Sermon on the Mount, he says, look, I can give you external peace, but I have something so much more beautiful, so much deeper. I actually wanna give you peace with God and shalom here that is never gonna be content to stay in here, but it wants to explode and burst out of you and create climates and atmospheres. If you will respond to the shalom of God inside of you, you actually, by the power of God, have the ability to do incredible things. You have the ability to walk into turbulence and violence and chaos and maybe maybe for a moment give shade and allow people to experience just a glimpse of the kingdom of God. Here, here's a life-changing principle for me, at least, uh, that has allowed me to process the stupidity of this world. So do you ever like look around the world and think people are really dumb? Am I the only one who's that judgmental? Okay, again, you're holy, I'm not, got it. When you look at people and you look at all of the ridiculous things that are happening, all the brokenness, here's the principle. Broken people do broken things. You look at their brokenness, you look at their insanity, you look at their turmoil and their chaos. And on one hand, we love to look down on them with moral superiority because we have less of that maybe. But what Jesus was able to do is he was able to get a little bit past that and see what was motivating this. Their hearts, their inside, they didn't have shalom They didn't have shalom with God. They didn't have shalom inside. They did not have a divine experience that even gave them a platform to work out of. They're groping for peace. Meanwhile, they're never gonna have it until they're made right with God. Broken people do broken things. Here's the way that I like to say it. There is a Michael Scott in all of us. If you don't know who Michael Scott is, uh, go watch this series, The Office. All you got to do is watch one episode, and Michael Scott will burst off the the screen in your life, and nobody will make you more uncomfortable than Michael Scott, because on the one hand, you're endeared to him. You love him. You're like, I like this guy. He is, there's something pure about him. There's something like you just kind of are seeing his heart for what it is. On the other hand, He lives out of this brokenness and everything he does is so insecure, so overcompensating. And here's what makes most people uncomfortable. You see yourself in him. Isn't that scary? you have the same thoughts. You're just much more self-controlled than he is. It's almost like somebody took all of the barriers of inhibition out of his life and he just lives out of his brokenness everywhere he goes. And it's funny as I read it and I watch him and I'm just like, oh no, I've had that same thought. Oh no, I've had that same thought. Oh no, I've wanted to say that same thing. And you just realize there's only Michael Scott and everybody, just pick any one episode, by the way. Any one episode if you don't know what I'm talking about and this sermon will become so much more meaningful for you. Point number two, <laughs> Bless. Jesus breaks into their chaos and their drama. I think Jesus, what he did in my life and hopefully yours too, he breaks into your chaos and your drama and he says this, I have, I have, I have something better for you. I have something better for you. How is what you're doing working out, by the way? Not good? Maybe there's a better way. Blessed are the peacemakers for they should be called what? Sons of God. Sons of God. Um, So as we said, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. What's interesting is that in these Beatitudes, Jesus will go on for many of them to explain them a few verses later. So jump just a few verses later to Matthew chapter five, verse 43. And this is where Jesus is going to exposit or explain um, what he means by a peacemaker. So you wanna know, am I a peacemaker? That's a big question. Huge implications if you're not. Jesus is gonna explain it. So rather than starting at the beginning, I'm gonna start in verse 45. And I wanna just give you a little bit of a carrot. Here's what verse 45 says, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. So here's the deal. Jesus says, so that you might be sons of your father who is in heaven. You want to be a son, right? By the way, by the way, girls, you want to be sons legally in this time. That's actually a good thing. Uh, I understand your daughters, but you want to be sons and daughters of God, correct? Correct. Well, then you better figure out what this so what is, right? What is the origin of this? Because obviously there's a prerequisite. There is a requirement. There is something that needs to happen to be seen for me to have affirmation or validation that I truly am a son of God. This is actually a weighty piece of scripture here. Verse 44, 43, he says this. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Have you ever wondered who said that, by the way? Because the Bible surely doesn't say that. Uh, Here's what seems to be happening. The Pharisees um, got to a place where this seemed to be regular teaching for them. Love your neighbor, who is the Jewish person, and anybody who's a Gentile, you're free to loathe them because this was actually just a part of how they viewed the world. They were Jews, chosen people of God, and they were the Gentiles, worthless dogs and scum right? And so apparently there was this elitism, even amongst the Jewish people, that this idea was being tolerated and permitted. And Jesus breaks into this teaching insanity and says, look, you've heard it said. You've heard it said from this religious leader and that guy and this guy. That's insanity and it's ridiculous. But here's what I say to you in verse 44. You want to be a peacemaker? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, so not out loud, in your brain, say or capture the face, the name of the person you despise. Likely, they have wounded you, they have let you down, they have hurt you. Got them? Let me help you. Who did you avoid today? Who makes your life miserable or made it miserable? If you saw person X and there were no consequences for anything said or done, you would punch this person in the face and walk away and Jesus would give you a high five, right? Who would that person be? Hypothetically. He would not do that, by the way. Here's the question. Do you love them? We can define love whatever. I think intuitively you know what he means. Broken people do broken things. Are you able to see past what they did to you and see them the way God sees them as somebody flowing and working out of a place of brokenness? Okay, let's, let's amp this up a little bit. The person who went after your name, your reputation, your job, the person who slandered you, who made your relationships uniquely difficult, the person who... Uh, made it very personal and about you. Think about that. The person who threatened your peace, the person who threatened your expectations, your livelihood, the person who threatened your safety, emotional, physical, spiritual, relational, whatever it is, think about it. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the clincher. Do you, not can you, not will you, not do you want to, do you pray for them? Blessed are the peacemakers They are not the drama makers, and by the way, they're not the spectators, which is what we've loved to believe about ourselves. Because we don't make turmoil, we are now a peacemaker. Peacemakers fundamentally work from a very different place in their heart. And in their heart, they are able to see other people's drama and chaos and turmoil for what it is. And then they are able, by God's grace, to get to a place where they begin to pray for that person. Now that is powerful. And I've got really, really good news for you. Uh, I, I believe that if Jesus walked in this room and many of you in this room would say, I'm not there yet. He would say, my grace is sufficient for you. Let's work toward it. Uh, the, you, you gotta be careful because we wanna preach the standard in light of grace. And here's what I would love to see many of you do. I'd love for many of you to figure out what is that next step? What is that thing that I need to do so that I am no longer a drama maker and no longer a spectator, but I need to walk into that difficulty and figure it out? The test is not do I get along with my friends and my family. My test is this. Do I love and pray for my enemies, especially those who have gone after me personally? So let's just model this for a moment. Jesus is on the cross, the creator allowing his creation to mock and murder him. Jesus could have said, we call these imprecatory prayers. Imprecatory prayers are Old Testament cursings. Lord, may you smite them with the vengeance of God and leave them in dust and ashes and ruin all their children forever, right? And if you ever want to pray that for someone? Just me? Okay, good. I'm the worst here. All right. Jesus doesn't say that. He's on the cross and he says this. Father... Forgive them. Okay, let's just model praying for our enemies. But he doesn't just pray for them. I want you to hear, he sees past what they're doing and he sees the brokenness, the Michael Scott inside of them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He is being murdered and he does not play the victim card. He plays the empathy card. That's insane. Meanwhile, the text tells us what they're doing. And they cast lots to divide his garments. They're trying to get his stuff, and he is empathizing with their brokenness and praying for their salvation. You want to talk about modeling that? Anybody feel very far away from that? I'll tell you I do. I can walk into chaos. It doesn't mean I do a good job with it. I can walk into insanity. I can be the victim of people mocking me slandering me, whatever, and I can walk into those conversations. But for my heart to love them and then get on my face and pray for them, that is a whole new level. Making, man, let's talk about family values because it says you're gonna be sons of God. So in my home, um, one of my children, I'll try not to give away who this is, but one of my children uh, has been caught telling little white lies a lot lately. Like maybe once a day, right? Anybody have this with your kids? Oh, okay, good. Again, I'm the only one. Um, I'm joking. I know, that, I know this is a human thing and it's a kid thing. And so, um, so I'll, catch, I'll catch this child of mine and I'll say, you do realize that's not the truth. And then after a moment or two, they finally fess up to it and own up to it. And this has been the conversation that I've been having with my kids. You are a fueling. It's my last name, by the way. Some of you don't know me, it's fine, I don't know. You are fueling, and fuelings tell the truth. Child, I gave you my name. Everywhere you go, you bear on your shoulders the reputation of your father, your mother, your grandfathers, your grandparents. This name is sacred and valuable. You are given this name, and you bear my name on your shoulders. Fuelings don't lie. Now, if I just stop there, I'm just self-preserving at some level. We go on, and I ask my kids this all the time. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Yes, yes. You are a son or you're a daughter of God. You bear the name of Jesus on your life. Sons of God, daughters of God, they don't lie. We tell the truth. I have another um, child who is um, filled with an unusual amount of fear fear causes them to not walk into normal circumstances, let alone difficult circumstances. And I know, I know that God wants me to raise up children who are gonna walk into difficult, hard circumstances because that's what he asks all of his followers to do. So I wanna I want kill fear in this child. And so um, we have a simple conversation and the child's afraid of something and here's, here's what I tell them. Fuelings do hard things. That's what we do it's not easy, we're the first to run in. Fuelings walk into chaos. Fuelings do hard things. This becomes like a motto now with our kids. It says, this is what we do. So if you want God to ask you to do hard things, we gotta do hard things now. We gotta build this in you now. One of God's highest family values, sons and daughters of God walk into chaos and make peace. This is what we do. We do not spectate. We do not make drama. We walk into that and we bring the shalom of God. We bring climates and atmospheres that allow people to sit under our shade and we bring peace. We give them glimpses of the kingdom of God and the atmospheres we create. So here's my question. Are you a drama maker? Are you a spectator? Or are you a peacemaker? Number three, recalibrate. Recalibrate. I think Jesus wants to break in and say, there is a better way. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus had to recalibrate the Jews, and he had to recalibrate them in one very important way. They believed that internal shalom came from external deeds. By the way, is that ever how it works? No. You only get shalom if God gives it to you, not because you do good things or you work for the Peace Corps or you did this or that or whatever. God gives shalom not to people who are good, but to people who have faith in Jesus Christ. And they fundamentally miss this whole point. They're trying, they're trying to build peace in their own dysfunctional, demented ways, meanwhile not realizing that they're not building shalom, they're not building the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God starts from internal shalom and then bursts forth and explodes out of us. Think about when Jesus Christ came to the earth. The kingdom of God is bound up in him and it's going to explode and begin to take over the entire world, one soul, one relationship, one family, one heart after another. And Jesus is, it's like the kingdom of God is just so, ready to explode that somebody touches them and they get healed the kingdom of God is just bursting out of them and it starts with what is inside of you and shalom builds because we're okay with God here he has put his divine shalom in us here and out of this it explodes out of us this is the nature of it now do you have the ability to quench the shalom say yes yes and many of us have done it on a regular basis. But God is saying, no longer do you need to be a drama maker or spectator. Walk into chaos. And I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, but I'd rather you walk in and try than run away. Honestly, relationships, are like North Korea. You can avoid them for a while, but you're only going to make them nuclear after a while. Right? And many of your relationships are just like that. And that is really hard to watch. How would Jesus recalibrate the American church? Well, I think he would have to recalibrate us by telling us that peacemaking, number one, it's not passivity. This is, this is how we've justified peacemaking. We don't make problems, so we're good. My, my life doesn't have a lot of problems, so God and I are good. I must be blessed because I don't have a lot of problems. And yet somehow the sons of God aren't just creating climates for my own personal enjoyment. We're walking into chaos and we're actually inviting people to walk into our own personal atmospheres and climates of shalom. And that we're building tents around people that they can come under and get away from the hurricanes of the other people in their life. It's not just sitting back, watching, avoiding, soaking in my own shalom and wholeness and keeping it all for myself. It's about walking into really difficult things. But the second thing shalom is not, it's not pacifism. Now, we've said this 100 times at Village Church. Good theology is nuanced. And many people want really, really simple answers for impossibly difficult questions. Do you see that? Like, just make it easy. Make it simple, stupid. And I want to I tell you that this issue is so misunderstood. And so let me just, for a moment, help you think with nuance. Because some people will say Christians in America and nobody should ever be at war. It's, it's a sin to be in the army if you're a Christian, et cetera. There are all these ideas floating around. I found that most Christians don't have simple categories to help them think Think in deep ways. So, let me just give you a few simple categories. We'll scratch the surface of this iceberg because you need to understand that being a peacemaker is not being a pacifist. So, uh, number one, let's talk about the government. The government has a job, it has a God ordained responsibility called the sword to protect its citizens. And God has given the government the ability to go make war. Isn't that interesting? that this is something that God is not petrified of, that God understands the realities of sin and the difficulties in life. And so God gives the government the sword and the authority under certain circumstances to go to war. Now, we're not going to go into this whole thing called just war theory because we'd be here for six more hours and you don't want to do that, right? But there is a responsibility and authority given to the government. So if I was a Christian and I was the president of the United States of America under certain circumstances, I could be sanctioned by God to take our military to war where people, our people and others would surely die. That's That's hard. But there's a second layer to this, which is the church. And in this understanding, the church has a very different level of authority. Does the church have the authority under God, the jurisdiction, to create physical war? The answer is no. Bad things happen when the church takes responsibility for the government and begins to sanction war. But the church does have the ability to execute discipline. We do, the leadership of the church in a unified decision can kick people out of a church. That there is an authority for discipline and peacemaking that is given to each local church. But then there's another category of this, which is the individual. The individual is not given permission of his own authority to kill or to punch or to make war. We have no permission to do this by God. In fact, our call is, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And it's interesting because the command for you is be at peace with all men, but I love how he puts like two like uh, caveats here. Uh, If possible, number one, knowing it's largely very difficult for many people to do this. Number two, so far as it depends on you, don't you love like just the reality that peace with men is really, really, really hard here? But as far as it depends on you, this is your job. So what's interesting is that a Roman warrior, a centurion, or somebody could come to Jesus Christ and never once does he tell them to leave the military. Never once. It's interesting. So as a follower of Jesus, on my own, on behalf of the church, I could never pull a gun and go to war. But on behalf of the government, I might be sanctioned by God to go to war. And that's the level of nuance that we have to think when we start talking about peacemaking. Because peacemaking does not always mean going in and never doing difficult things. As a mom and dad. We have the authority by God to discipline our children. We create a little bit of chaos because the long-term benefit is worth it. Unless you think Jesus is against this, guess what Jesus does at the very end? He wages global war and annihilation. Do you see that? Jesus is, 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 is waging and he will wage a global war and many people Many people will die in the process. So we have these notions of Jesus that he was just so simple and cute and flowing here, whatever. And he goes into the temple. He turns up tables. Somehow Jesus was the epitome of a peacemaker, and he could turn tables over. He could call Pharisees whitewashed tombs, sons of the devil, hypocrites, blind guides. The list goes on, right? And somehow he's still in that moment was a peacemaker. Isn't that crazy? And so this issue of peacemaking, it's not as simple of everyone's lives are gonna be easy because I walk into the chaos because there's some chaos I walk into and people's lives are not easier. In fact, it's harder. And that's part of peacemaking. This is why peacemaking takes guts. It requires wisdom. It requires prayer. It requires intentionality. It requires counselors sometimes surrounding you so you can process together what is the good and best next step. I wanna close with three questions. Number one, what would my future self tell me? I would love, anyone else feel this way? I'd love to go have a conversation with 25-year-old Michael. Anybody else feel like, not just me, but I'm with you. Yes, many of you would like to talk to 25-year-old Michael as well. Stop this, don't do that. But when you love to go back and just talk to yourself, like the majority of time, the majority of times I hear people say this, we always say, I would probably slap myself or punch myself. Isn't that interesting? So here's the question. The decisions, the climates, the atmospheres, your posture towards peacemaking, Will your future self thank you or slap you? A couple things that peacemakers, um, they're gonna be able to say. I will not settle for chaos around me. I am made for more. When I have the authority, the relationship, the context, the permission to walk into chaos, I'm not gonna settle for that and run away. I'm made for more than that. In fact, Jesus made me to be a peace maker, which means I'm going to have to walk into the turmoil. A peacemaker is going to understand this. There's some people in my life who won't, can't choose peace. You ever see that? You've done as far as it depends on you, and they just won't. And this has honestly been so hard for me because there's been a handful, small handful of people in my life who refuse reconciliation, refuse peace, And I've tried, and you have tried, and we have tried, and there are some people, because there's a Michael Scott, there's a brokenness inside of them, because they don't have shalom, or they've suppressed or quenched the shalom powerfully, they're not able to do it. Another thing that we say, I've been freed to choose my own personal climate, and I will choose peace. If your life is filled with drama and chaos, and you're a son or daughter of God, that is unnecessary. It is on you. And you have the ability to control your personal climates. Now, is that difficult? Everybody say, please, yes, yes. Right? But we have this thing called self-control from the Holy Spirit, which is the ability to control ourselves and to create these atmospheres, or at least to begin to create them. Question number two, when is it okay to leave a drama relationship? You ever felt like this? It could be a marriage A church, a friendship, a job. Three questions to ask yourselves. Number one, am I bound by covenant to them? If so, you don't have the option. Question number two, do wise counselors support me? That is a different level. Do wise, not counselors, there's a lot of bad counselors out there, right? You get some bad advice. Maybe in this church too. Do wise counselors support me? Have I exhausted, number three, all normal avenues of peacemaking? But when you're talking about breaking a relationship, a marriage, a church, a job, or a friendship, a relationship, uh, we have to surround ourselves with people who will speak truth and allow us to answer these questions honestly. I want to close with the last question. What is my next step? What is my next step? We've talked about this, four levels of peacemaking. Here's the easiest one. Pursuing peace with those I love. That's easy, right? It's simple. Anybody can do that. This is where most Christians stop. Right here. Level two, pursuing peace with those I hate. I have a hunch there are some conversations that the Holy Spirit is putting on you to have and you're gonna busy yourself with a 716th wrench screwdriver and take our peas out after service today so you don't have to think about that. But my prayer for you is the Holy Spirit doesn't let you go until you as far as it depends on you, make peace. Sometimes peace does not mean being friends with that person again. You can still walk away, but is there peace? Level three, pursuing peace with those who hate me. This is getting even more difficult, which means praying for them and their salvation and their shalom. And the fourth level is impossible. The fourth level is simply this peace within me. It is impossible for you and I to go out into this world and get internal peace. The only way to get it is if Jesus Christ himself puts it in you. And there is a law of this universe that is inescapable. The only way he will put it in you is if you have faith. That is it. There is no other way to get divine shalom into your soul so that it bursts out of you and you're able to create kingdom climates around people's chaos and turmoil. Until you come to Jesus Christ, you will grope and you will try so hard to find this peace. John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Who has the authority to give divine peace? It is Jesus. But then you're going to respond, uh, and you might say, I'm not a Christian. My life's pretty good. I feel like everything's fine. I don't feel like uh, I already have peace. And he goes on, he says this, not as the world gives, do I give it to you. There is a world peace, right? There is a worldly kind of peace that if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can have. This is fine. You can say that. But Jesus is this fundamentally different and more powerful, more, more potent it is so much weightier than what the, peace, the kind of peace the world gives. It's very different. But most people have never trusted in Christ. They don't even know what they're missing. This is the best they think it gets. And yet Jesus Christ has come to give us peace with God, shalom in our hearts. And this shalom has the capacity to burst out of our lives and to bless this world, one person and one relationship at a time. He says, "...let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid." The shalom of this world, the peace of this world, uh, cannot kill fear and anxiety over death. But the shalom of God through faith in Jesus can. Uh, As we go to this table to celebrate communion, um, here's what I know. Many of you right now feel being a peacemaker is impossible. In fact, a little bit later in Matthew 5, in this very context, Jesus says, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And this is the great thing about Jesus Christ. He understands your imperfections and your inabilities. And he is so gracious and he is so patient. And here's what I know. There is a next step for the majority of us in this room. And that next step is something we have been avoiding. It's gonna be very difficult. And some of you want me to give like really practical so what's for all of you. There's like 150 different circumstances staring me right in the face right now. And so this is why we have community groups. This is why we have pastors. This is why we have opportunities, men's groups and women's groups, for you to get together and work this out. Before you do something big and dumb, get really good counsel. Start getting on your face because God might ask you very quickly here to walk into some chaos, into some turmoil. Pray for that person, not just your heart because we know that we can walk into chaos and be dumb in the middle of it, right? Pray that God gives you a heart that is not just trying to make peace but loves and prays for your enemy. This is where the peacemaker culminates. This is where it becomes so powerful, And this is what Jesus wants to build in all of us. Imagine what would happen if we were not afraid of each other and our chaos and our turmoil, but we walked into it, praying for one another, praying for our enemies, and letting the kingdom of God cast a shadow of safety and comfort, even just for a moment. So Ville Church, we have some amazing abilities. We have some amazing opportunities. And I I fear that we have walked away from some of them because we've been spectators. So my prayer for you this evening, this morning, is that God would make you courageous and bold to take that next step. Let's pray together. Father, there's just chaos everywhere. Truthfully, I don't even know how to respond to so much of it globally on the news, in our relationships, our own hearts. My own heart is chaotic at times, and I want to be a peacemaker, and I know I speak on behalf of somebody in this room, and we say we aspire to these things, but we just fall short so regularly. God, as we come to this communion table, would you center us? You demanded perfection, and you got it in Jesus, and now we get grace. Father, there's a voice inside of me and I know many of us that just says, not good enough, not good enough, but God, I pray that you would continue to speak truth over us, that our salvation, our right relationship with you is not based on our being good enough. And yet at the same time, God, we face the reality that many of us have not been peacemakers because of our own decisions, but even those decisions you have paid for on the cross. And you are the God of second and third, and fourth, and unending chances. God, I thank you that even right now, communion screams to us. There is hope, there is possibility. You can grow the kingdom of God in this world. So God, we want to be those people, we wanna be that church, but first and foremost, would you remind us what communion declares to us? We are secure, we are given peace, not because we're good, but because of Jesus. Fill our hearts with awe and with gratitude, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified or made right with God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Communion screams to us that your peace with God is not contingent on your good behavior this week, this month, this year, or ever. Your peace with God is rooted in one thing, and that is your faith in Jesus Christ. God's love for you, God's shalom in you, though you may quench it, its experience, its reality in you is there because you've trusted in Jesus Christ. And if you have done that, you have the capacity to grow as a peacemaker. And this reality of shalom in us gets right back to the cross because had Jesus never paid the price for our sins, we would never have access to divine shalom in our souls. And so this is an opportunity for us not to reflect necessarily with condemnation on ourselves, all the ways in which we are unqualified to take this. This is an opportunity to reflect maybe on our sin this past week in light of the fact that Jesus Christ has qualified us to partake of communion today. Uh, This is an opportunity to be filled with awe and gratitude that a bunch of wicked sinners like us, that God is offering to us his perpetual and permanent love. That is amazing. My prayer is that as we partake of communion today, we might have all these ambitions to be peacemakers and to kill the spectatorship and to get rid of the drama and to make these hard decisions in our life. Maybe that you, but first and foremost, let's center ourselves because without Jesus, none of it is possible. And so, if you're a follower of Jesus, you might be visiting with us from a different church. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to partake of communion with us as one body. If you're not a believer, what we find is that this is the most awkward part of church for you. What do I do when they hand out these elements? And I get it. And so, let me just make it easy for you. We ask anybody who's never trusted in Christ, who's still figuring out their relationship with God, would you just let these elements pass? Because to partake of them is to make a declaration that you are a broken sinner but you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. I mean, to make those declarations, that's what we're saying when we partake. So if if you don't believe that yet, just let them pass. Nobody will look down on you.